Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. Welcome to the first episode of Design Your Life, from Lego to skyscrapers, the life of an architect. We'll be speaking to some of the most influential architects who are shaping our cities and the way that we live. We'll go behind the facade to understand what inspires them, how they juggle business and family life, and the responsibility that comes with designing the places, cities, and destinations that we live, work, and play. In this episode, I chat with Luigi Rosselli, a Sydney-based Italian architect who has designed some of the most iconic Sydney residences. Listen in as we talk about his journey from Milan to Sydney via Switzerland and New York, and how his upbringing inspired him to become an architect and what it's like designing homes for some of Australia's most high net worth individuals. Hey, Luigi. It's great to have you here today on Design Your Life. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm glad to share my uh, simple thoughts with your public. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I've always been a, a huge admirer of your work, and I've, I, you know, I've lo- seen what you've done over the years. It's pretty incredible. Um, what inspired you to become an architect? Uh, it's a long story, but I grew up in Milano, mm-hmm. and Milano is a, is a city where design and architecture has always been very alive. Um, not always active, because there was about 30 years of a of a long recession, uh, which uh, succeeded my departure from Milano. But when I grew up, it was very vibrant. In the 60s, you know, it was a time of Antonioni, time of, uh, of, uh, of uh, cultural revival in Italy. And in Milano, there was a Gioponti, there was uh, a lot of uh, uh, Gardella, a lot of uh, uh, the, the father of Renzo Piano, uh, the father of uh, Rogers, mm. uh, they were all there, um, active, and they um, they were building a beautiful kind of post-war uh, environment. Mm. Um, our family was quite involved in the building industry. My father had um, an enterprise of uh, scaffoldings, and um, we were uh, meeting often. Uh, architects and had architects around the, around our family, so mm. that that helped a lot. Oh wow! And Lego too. Lego. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, I. My brother used to have the first Legos, you know, and uh, wow. and, and, um, and it was uh, very simple, you know, just you know blocks of six and blocks of four, little. Uh, was it black and white or color too? Uh, there was black and red. Yeah. Oh really? Black and red. Yeah. Wow. So that inspired you in terms of building yes, and designing. You know, as a child. So it was a very early decision. And I remember also my brother um, wanting to emulate a bit the, the bridges that my father was building with his scaffoldings. Because post-war, when you had to pour concrete, you had to f- make huge scaffoldings mm. and then pour the concrete into this formwork mm. and then you disassemble the formwork and these bridges they were so dense of tubes that you couldn't see through and they were huge spans and um they so when we were kids uh, you know i was eight and my brother was 12 uh we did competition drawing competition of designing the biggest bridge oh neat <laughs> how so, cool yeah. they must have looked amazing all that scaffolding on on them it was like the big, dense scaffolding. Yeah. As a real art form, I guess. And then you had these small people working on, yeah. on the tubes uh, with no restraint and Jesus. Uh, no safety harness uh, assembling them. It was quite crazy. Yeah. Wow. So you kind of you grew up with it, and I guess you had no choice but to become an architect yes, or a scaffolder. I was supposed to be an engineer, ah. uh, you know, because the family was a generation of engineers. But I was a black sheep. I was the youngest one, and obviously I didn't follow. My brother became an engineer, but uh, I, I was a black sheep. I became an mm. architect. Mm. So how did you do that? Did you just decide when, when you were at school that you wanted to do that? Uh, I think even before that, uh, high oh. school. Uh, at high school, we had uh, a lot of unemployed architects teaching 
um, drawing classes, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they 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 give us a little task and design your ideal home. Mm. And um, so in high school, I designed my first home, and it was underground. Uh, so it was quite interesting when I built in um, in the Pilbara those master accommodation that I did uh, about five years ago. Uh, they they were underground, mm. and uh, with my first project had grass growing in uh, over the top, and mm. the one in the Pilbara had. Uh, you know, no native vegetation. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I understand you went around the world to various countries and worked in various places. That's correct. I mean, um, I studied in Switzerland, mm-hmm. uh, not in Milano because it was chaotic, the university post uh, 68. And um, I went to Switzerland where my part of my family is from and oh. um, uh, French part of Switzerland. And, and, and it was a very international school of Lausanne, which had... Um, Top teachers. Uh, we had Botta, we had Caesar, we had Frampton, all the top names at the wow. time. Moneo coming through uh, through those doors. What exposure! And yes, it was it was very very good exposure, and there was very high ratio of teachers to students. And we um, got used to. We had to do a, a, a practice here. And everybody was going overseas. And mm-hmm. so I stayed in Switzerland and I worked with Botta because he kind of asked me to join him, join his office when he was teaching. And then, but Botta's office was uh, was tough. It was a bit kind of Swiss militaristic. So I asked him if I could leave and he very kindly gave me some uh, 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 reference in New York. And I went to New York Um Follow the reference and uh, uh, and end up to work for Jurgola who did uh, the Parliament House in Canberra, uh, Aldo ah. Jurgola. Uh, and I was in fact involved into the competition scheme uh, for the Fr- Parliament, from New York from New York in the, for the Parliament oh, I House get it now. in Canberra. Okay. So that's how Australia became kind of. Through my past of my life, by ch- by luck, mm. and by luck, I was part of a w- winning team, mm. uh, and by luck, they decided to send some of their staff to Canberra to set up the office, and the New Yorker, which were very snooty, said, "No, Canberra, that's too. There's nothing interesting to do. Is where do you go to the theater?" And um, so they didn't want it to go. So I put my hands up and and. Um, the director said, but no, this guy is just a student. You know, he hasn't mm. got enough experience. But um, Rick Thorpe, who is uh, the leader of a team, um, said, no, Luigi will be all right. And so they sent me to, to, to Canberra uh, for a year to set up uh, the office for the Parliament House. So it was at the beginning of a Parliament House construction. Wow. Which was very, very kind of uh, exciting things. At the time, I remember still... Uh, there was a, um, a great critic, I forgot the name, um, a, a New York critic, uh, architecture critic who said, oh, the Parliament House is going to be the building of a century. So we were very excited to work in that. And, and so we put passion and everybody had a lot of uh, 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 enthusiasm for, um, for that building, which was dampened when it opened because they received a very negative press oh no um in because, 88 because of what because of the design or because the 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 major problem was the brief the brief separated the media from the politicians so it was a floor for the politician downstairs mm. then you have the public in the middle and at the top you have a media mm-hmm. and each one gets a floor and they're not supposed to mingle mm. and um in the old Parliament House, the media was sitting on, on the same office and mm. then uh, sharing office with the parliamentarians. And so the media felt alienated mm. uh, and they just threw the, the worst oh, kind of geez. bucket of muds on, on the design. And um, it, I think with time, it'll be revalued. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautifully designed building. Uh, you know, you take all the 80s 
kind of default away, and but the bones and and the concept of it is is a fantastic concept. And we're going back to an underground building, which is my first house, you know, yeah, with wow. grass on top. Um, completely failed today because you have barriers for security, uh, stopping people going on top of a building. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the time, it was a quite uh, a symbol of democracy, which, uh, which was uh, quite important for us to, to work for. How old were you when you were in Canberra? I was twenty-three. Wow! So you were leading it from from the the agency's perspective. You were like the lead on the ground. Well, for a short time, I, I was in in charge for a short time of a forecourt, the the the, the one you see on the five dollars note. And yeah, yeah. Obviously, Aldo Jogra did the main design, but I was in charge of refining the design, getting the proportions right, the materials. And make it work. And um, uh, I, I remember um, when there was a presentation of uh, materials for the uh, uh, forecourt, which has, was a red gravel that was used into the other side of a lake, Burley Griffith, mm -hmm. which was on the Anzac Parade, and was a red gravel to symbolize the, the blood of the, mm. the Australian soldiers. Mm -hmm. So we put the same gravel just to have a kind of a symmetry between one side and the other side of a lake. We thought that the symbolism of a blood, but also it's a symbolism of a red dirt of Australia. It's kind mm. of rusty mm. red. And um, we presented that to the Senate committee and the, there was this kind of national party, they, they called it uh, differently at the time, um, national party, member stood up and they say we will and punch the table we will not have the red square in canberra uh, ah. so, so they thought it was a political statement ah. uh, which we wow. never thought about no yeah but i mean at 23 that's that's incredibly young to to be in a new country isn't it like completely culturally must have been felt very different too i guess well i guess america did for you too coming from milan i i mean also coming from New York, where where has been for a, for a year before that, mm. yes, it was a bit of a cultural shock. But uh, after uh, four months, we just I found the people very interesting. That we know we found that you you can go anywhere yeah. and find the people you like and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and the things to do that you like. And so, did you then stay in Canberra, or stayed, did you go back stayed, to New York? Stayed for a year, yeah. And you went back to New York? Uh, I went back to Europe, finished my studies. Ah. And then what, what brought you back again? Well, that's a woman, another, probably. A woman. Aha, uh, I was right. It's a boomerang effect. Uh, kind of, uh, <laughs> uh, an Australian you, you Italians, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> an Australian woman. And um, uh, I graduated in Lausanne and then uh, stayed there for quite a while few months and she was we got married and she wasn't very happy in Switzerland I found the Swiss a bit cold and un, unfriendly um, so we decided to go to Sydney mm. Wow and then did you start your practice in that po at that point well I had to there is a kind of requirement that you practice for a couple of years before mm -hmm. you open your practice but um, I practiced for one year for a good architect called Furio Valic, very small firm at the time I was the only employee. By the time I left, there was four or five. Um, and uh, it was in a funny building which was uh, surrounded by other architects of the time, which became quite famous, like uh, uh, Burley Caton Halliday and uh, Alan Jack and Cotiers. Um, and... Um, it was a good introduction, and I learned the ropes with Furio, and then um, opened my, as soon as I got some, some small jobs, opened my firm. Yeah, and so tell me a bit about your practice. How does it work, I and mean, how many people are in it now? So we're about uh, 15, 16 people, mm -hmm. persons, architects mainly. Um, it is quite, uh, everybody is treated equally. Um, 
I have the same desk among everybody else. In fact, mine is the smallest. And but it's, uh, but it's gold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. And um, everybody does all all parts of uh, architectural work. There is no kind of too much hierarchy. There is a little bit, but not 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 as some mm. larger office. Mm. There is no draftspers and architects and and senior architects. But there is uh, a number of associates, which is mainly uh, with time, you know, people who has uh, uh, performed, uh, has uh, done very good work. Uh, they get mm. uh, rewarded with um, additional uh, profit share, and um, but it's um, it's yeah, it's it's a very pleasant space, and that's thanks to. My son Raffaello, um, who designed, um, we played the game. He's, he's the architect, he was the architect and I was a client. Um, and uh, he designed our office space, which mm-hmm. is also his office space. Um, mm-hmm. It's a separate office. Um, and it was really a, kind of a game changer for for the atmosphere of the office. You know, mm. it's so important to have a right environment. Um, Were you a nightmare client? I was a difficult <laughs> client, yes. I do, yeah. I did. Well, your son too, that must be hard. He had huge constraints. We had to... <laughs> look, we bought, we settled the land in uh, in January of a year 2017 mm-hmm. and it had to be finished in January 2018. And so, um, obviously, we did the DA before uh, we settled with permission of the previous vendor. But basically, we started construction the day after we settled, um, and uh, and the builder was under strong pressure. Mm. Uh, He wasn't allowed to do any changes in the design because that would have been delaying the work. And um, so he had to work it out all in advance, and he had a you know tight budget. It was a very, very um, economical building, and um, but apart that, it was um, free reign for him. Um, that's where he his concept of um, using recycled materials, um, which has been always present in his work, mm. um, Raffaello's work was. Um, uh, Kind of the 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 the, pl- the the main player into the, the architecture of a building because it's a building with mainly only one elevation which is facing west, and so we're having this uh, beautiful recycled terracotta tiles facade. Yeah, it's it beautiful. looks great from the street, and it's very 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 pleasant from within because it's uh, kind of like an air conditioner. It just takes the hot hair from outside and the clay is uh, agroscopic and 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 cools air and and inside with basically you know there's a lot of walls because of the neighbors uh, are adjoining our building mm-hmm. um, we have a very good thermal mass which uh, makes the building cool mm-hmm. but at the same time there's terraces at the top so it's a very you can go from kind of introverted part of a building, you go upstairs and you have an, an open air. And uh, so the eyes, you know, the architect's eyes, they're always tired by the computers. You know, the computer is, mm. a, is an element that um, you're focusing all day mm. and you need to have a broader yeah. perspective. Yeah. And that's a very great, good space. And so, the, you know, everybody was so happy to move. Mm. Um, the previous building that we were in was another building I renovated, but I followed the dreaded Le Corbusier's dictatum that, you know, for workspace you have to have windows everywhere. But that's not the ideal of workspace for an architect because uh, if you have strip windows, you have glare everywhere mm. and the computer is, is very tiresome. So you have to have a selected amount of windows. Um, mm. And... Um, and that also was getting very hot and very cool, depending on the, on the external temperature, because it was on the top of a high building, and we were on the fifth and sixth floor, on top of a warehouse that we 
convert it. And um, in the, and it was lightweight construction because it had to be lightweight because we couldn't put too much load. And so it was very sensitive to change of temperature. Mm. Sounds amazing. I want to come down and have a look at some stage. Did Raffaello have the same experience as you as a kid, kind of growing up with architecture all around him? Yes, I that guess um, he, he did compete with his brother. Um, they did uh, build um, Lego towers and who was the tallest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then um, he was... Um, we had a small backyard where um, he used to uh, weave uh, the wool of um, my, his grandmother's uh, knitting knitting wool, weave all this uh, wool across the backyard like a like a web. Wow! So you were opening a door door and you couldn't get anywhere because <laughs> there was this web of of woolen threads running from one side of the backyard to the other. Um, And uh, he used to recycle a lot of cardboard boxes and build constructions with them. And his brother became a sculptor. Uh, He did some of his best work with cardboard boxes. Oh, really? How cool is that? And so Raphael has got a more sculptural eye than, 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 than I do. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've got a more constructive eyes. Is is more, um, you know, is is always been. At some stage, he, w- he would have liked to be a sculptor too, like his brother. Mm. Uh, so his architecture is much more sculptural. Mm. Mm. That's cool. Well, it's interesting because I mean, I guess like a lot of families. I, I mean, I, I believe everybody's born creative, um, and you know, if you're brought up in a, a family where, you know, say, your parents are accountants, for example but you're making things out of cardboard boxes or making, you know, woolen webs in the backyard, probably they think the kids are crazy, whereas you'd, can, you'd be encouraging it. And the kids can then see, actually, my dad does this kind of thing for a living too. You know, you see there's an opportunity for a future. I wonder how many people kind of miss that opportunity to kind of take what they're naturally doing as a small child and yeah. make, making that into a career. Nurturing is important. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. And with, so, a, with a model which was, was a... Artist painter too, it didn't help. Yeah, yeah. Perfect, <laughs> it didn't help. Well, that's a perfect combination. Oh, my kids kind of were very anti my what I was doing for a long time, but now Luca is actually um, who's sitting next to us right now um, is actually working in the business too. So it's kind of really cool to go from the kids lying in a on a mat- mattress on the, the studio floor when they're babies to actually working in the business later on in life. It's such a cool thing. Yeah, I guess it's it's good to be also passing your knowledge to. Yeah. Younger generation, if it's yeah, not yeah. teaching, it's to children. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You've designed some incredible houses in Sydney. How do, you, how do you continue to kind of be innovate and push the kind of the boundaries? I mean, I don't see, I think any of your houses are, none of them are the same. They're, they're always very different and unique. Well, I think I've been, again, lucky. Um, I had very good clients, um, which they come from different different stratums of, of, of life, but mo- mostly uh, the, the most successful houses, the, the, the clients which had a kind of a cultural input. Uh, for example, you know, we first houses we did in the 80s, uh, they were for musicians of a group in excess. Oh, cool. And so they had the budgets and the creativity which uh, allowed a certain expression of this, my, my creativity. Um, the other thing is um, the diversity is also due to I, I have a certain humility with trying to integrate with with a with a space and a place um, with the materials that I work with. So if I transform an existing house to try and understand the nature of existing house and try to do the best out of it, um, without without going against the grain, but um, working with it. Uh, and if you're working with the clients, which has got very, very lots of preconception, try to understand them, because basically we're not designing for ourselves, we're designing for the mm. client. Mm. And uh, so, we, yeah, you need to have a certain humility, which not it's not often a, 
uh, architect's uh, no. attribute. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and then then it pays off. Uh, I mean, uh, now you 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 know we have clients saying, Luigi, you do what you want because we like what you do. But say, mm. oh, no, give me some ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what do you like. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know what is uh, how do you live your life and what is your priority and what do you interest. Uh, uh, you 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 need, and then they tell you, "Go, oh my God, I'll do what I want." Then, <laughs> uh, is, what what do you have? Do you have clients that just like are difficult that you go, "Oh my God, I, I just can't do what they're asking me to do." Oh yeah, uh, obviously you, you we had to go through that too. Um, mm. Some professions that you can access only if you are the first of a class or if you're the first at the university, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you have a high score and. Having all these high scores make them think that they can do everything. Mm. Um, so they come and say with a little piece of paper, they say, "This is my design." You know, one came with a, it's a kind of a, a doctor, uh, a very very good doctor, and he came with a little Lego model. Said, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my house. Oh my god! And uh, you have to interpret between the lines, and then. Um, <laughs> uh, sometimes it, it works. Sometimes you say, just say, "Look, uh, I cannot did you, do your, your house." Did you build a giant Lego house? <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. Uh, well, it 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 is yeah, it is a little bit of a Lego house. Uh, it's um, it's uh, it's got a very standard components. Uh, yeah, uh, but um, it is some are difficult, uh, and, and and you understand quite early if that's the case. And you do a schematic design, and they ask you to change it substantially. And you say, "Look, I think uh, maybe you get another architect." Yeah. Um, but the success rate with, of of a concept with our clients is about eighty percent, eighty five percent. Where they just they get from a day one, they they, they say, "This is exactly what I wanted." Yeah. Um, so, so you need certain versatility, and it is great. I mean, you don't want to... I mean, that, that was part of my thesis uh, at university, eclecticism. Mm. Um, what is eclecticism? Eclecticism can be considered as a, as a negative thing, you know, just kind of a flag, or, you know, um, changing with the wind mm -hmm. direction uh, without any principles and any ideals. But I think the... the the, the, the other approach of eclecticism is basically it was uh, an, um, a, a 19th century phenomenon where people say, look, if you, um, if you build a bank, you, you, you have to have a certain language which represents the contents of a building, which is the bank. And if you build a church or a school, or, it's a different language. Um, and my approach is not a change of language, but it's mainly a, a change of building blocks, uh, mm. elements that, um, that also, uh, satisfy a different brief, different location, different clients. You know, sometimes you use a very large expanse of glass. Mm. Sometimes you, you reduce it to, to... Uh, framed windows and there is no preconception against one and the other but it's mm. just to represent what the this project wants to achieve mm. um, and so so that's 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 the versatility that um, my um, my practice has mm -hmm. um, but there is people say oh there is a Roselli style so you do the curves I say well no I don't I haven't invented curves, you know. No. <laughs> the curves have been there before, yeah. uh, before me. And um, in fact, now there is a lot of curves coming up in yeah. apartment buildings in shoddy one too. And uh, so we, 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 you know, we just say to client, look, we, we changed. We, you know, what you're referring to is a work of uh, ten years ago. Um, we evolved because, uh, again, that's a process which is. The contribution of the new people in the office, younger generations, yeah. uh, and make me also 
seeing the work of younger generation architects appreciate what their work is trying to achieve. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, we've been lucky in Australia for, I think, the last 30 years. They've been kind of booming, hasn't it? I mean, we've had, yeah. obviously, the pandemic now. We've had a, a recession, a GFC, but it's nothing like the rest of the world. And properties continue to increase over that time. And obviously, there's a high value on property. Um, I guess that's been really good for people like you because um, obviously a lot of high net worth individuals that can afford to invest in their home. And uh, I, I think that um, other countries have struggled. You know, they've, they're not have that same kind of strength of economy like we have. Um, that, I guess, makes a huge difference to the investment in the home and how much people are spending on their home. Um, and, it, you know, the houses you design are absolutely stunning. And it's interesting because, as you were saying, before you were talking about the curves, I was just thinking your work, you know, you're masculine and you're a man. And, and what was, what's been around for a long time is very masculine buildings. But your, your buildings and your homes are far more feminine, if I can say that, because of the curves, choice of materials. There's a lightness to them, which I think is just beautiful and elegant. I guess that's come, does that come from, like, your influence from living in Milan? Or do you disagree with what I just said? You might disagree. I just kind of sense that that might be the, the case. I, I think it's a it's a yearning of creating spaces which are good to live in, in a sense that they they're not aggressive. Um, so this masculine feminine is, I think, you could also put uh, another two names. It's a kind of a a, a more uh, muscular architecture versus uh, a more soft approach mm. uh, to architecture. I've got a more a softer approach because mm. I think that uh, the, the movement of people in, in the house, the, the, the experience of materials, all these are tactile um, and visual elements which tends to soften the, the architecture, the mineral part of, of, of a building. Mm-hmm. If you have a sharp corner, it's psychologically uh, putting a person on the edge uh, and in a defensive position. You, you feel threatened by a sharp, sharp corner. Mm-hmm. If you have a soft corner, there, there is more space for the person to brush against the wall and, and, and turn around that corner. Mm. Um, so the same for material. Yeah, I think you, you, you're quite right that in, in, in Italy, in a northern Italy, particularly in northern Italy, so uh, Veneto, uh, Lombardy, etc., the, the skill of working with different materials is, mm. is have very wide palettes mm. of material which have got great tactile qualities. And again, that's, a, that's another experience, you know, we live all in plasterboard boxes, mm. and it is why they're boxes because they're cheaper to build than a set plaster finish on the wall or um, a texture uh, rammed earth or um, uh, some tiles or, 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 or whatever other materials that you can have, which which constitute a wall finish, and developer use plasterboard and they the, the rectangle is a shape shape which is very economical um, so uh, people is used to that and 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 they've been you know if you put an egg in a square box after a while it's gonna get square uh, so 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 that that's how we start to live. But the the personality of these people is, in one way, frustrated by the architecture of a development. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So to make some people have huge budget in Mossman or whatever in suburb in, in Sydney, and and they still do a plasterboard box. And I think, well, why mm. bother? Uh, yeah, yeah. You just can go out in Bankstown and buy one for the third price. Yeah. And um, and if you like that. But I think people don't like that. I think people really feels that um, 
the tactile qualities, the visual quality, the light, everything is very important into the lifestyle. Mm. Well, I'm interested in, I wonder if, because you've deliberately designed houses, let's take away the fact that the people often are, have a lot of money, right? The, the wealthy people that have commissioned you mostly, right? But that possibly makes them happy in the first place. But I was just wondering how much, you know, because you do take such care and attention and detail around designing homes that are f- free-flowing, you know, um, that are gentle, um, that are, you know, beautiful light coming through, etc. Really wonderful places to, to live. I wonder if you've done any kind of observations around uh, their well-being, their happiness. Uh, how many of them have got divorced versus other people living in, in boxes might be, you know, might be more kind of more tension around their lifestyle. These spaces you create encourages that free-flowing life or that happiness and the positivity. I think. Um, I mean, maybe people aren't even aware of it a lot of the time. Maybe maybe some, only some people are aware of what's around them and how that influences them. Look, uh, it would be very interesting to do a study about that. Yeah. Uh, but um, I don't know if I, if I can claim to be kind of a life lifestyle doctor uh, with um, with my architecture. But it's, I think it's it's a, it is felt by at least I get the feedback when people move in the house that they have, there's been a change into the lifestyle and and so the, the before and after I can see that very very clearly that they feel kind of realized and happy mm. um, how long that lasts I'm not sure but look and and I wanted just to pick up also on on the fact see, yes I do feel sometime uh, bad the fact that the majority of my clients they're very wealthy but then I think well I've got a role in society that it can be it can be helpful for everyone mm. it's unfortunately the architecture like uh, any element of lifestyles uh, uh, is um, encouraged the, the general uh, uh, trends of architecture are encouraged by role model, mm. and the role model, unfortunately, they are very often into the operational of uh, architectural um, practical practical yeah. practice um, and reduction too, probably. So, say and you know, for example, I had this for the last fifteen years: this uh, passion of building with rammed earth. And rammed earth, when I started, was was considered a material which is uh, destined for um, country houses or or, or uh, nuts and berries kind of hippie mm. hippie place in down in Eden. So there was a kind of categorization that say, well, that's not us uh, to the majority of the people, and. Uh, having introduced that into into prestigious project and good budget, uh, because Ramdeth was expensive when mm. I started because there was only a couple of people doing it. Uh, so we we only had we had to convince people. Which at the beginning you say, look, I don't want to do nuts and berries house. I don't want it's, that's okay for my country house, but I not I don't want it in Rose Bay or so mm. in the eastern suburbs. But then being successful with those projects, it has allowed uh, other people to take up and that that material. That material, you know, my ideal is that developer well might use it in in the future. Mm. Okay, with pre- pre- prefabrication and so on, and. And it's, it's going towards, a, you know, there is a much more widespread use of round earth. And it's just great because it's a, it's a low carbon footprint material. It's a very comfortable material and it is a healthy material. Uh, so in one way, I've got a role and, and, I, and, and, I, and I think that that is my mission is, uh, is to, in one way, I should be pleased that the developer is doing a lot of curves. Mm-hmm. 
uh, because they, they sell better, because in the same time, if they use properly, uh, they, inc- they encourage a lifestyle of, of, of those people. Mm. Um, be, you know, because it's, it's a softer uh, it's softer material, that, uh, a softer shape that, um, mm. that um, it's uh, more conducive to good lifestyle. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. You talk about feeling or how you feel, etc. This is all about feeling, isn't it? Like you feel a building. You feel the space, you feel the light, you feel the flow. You can kind of post-rationalize it and et cetera afterwards. But when you're in a space, spaces make, can make you feel really great or they can make you feel really bad. I mean, that's why a prison cell is so rectangular and no windows and unpleasant. It's designed to be hell, right? Um, Look, there is a, there is a, a branch of uh, architecture, uh, the, uh, the um, profession, which deal with that there is uh, I met uh, this professor uh, Jean I cannot remember his surname it's, uh, and um, he's is a psychological uh, uh, is an architect which studied the psychology of a space mm-hmm. and he say well he used to to be employed mainly by uh, shopping centers at the beginning you know just to, to see how they can Get a better buck out of yeah. out, out of the shoppers yeah. by encouraging um, spending, but um, is now widen his uh, his uh, clientele to to people with uh, like workspace. Mm. Um, uh, when you start to design a workspace for a big company like Macquarie Bank, etc., you start to think about well, all right, what's 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 the psychology of, of that workspace? Mm. How do you contribute to well-being or productivity yes. or happiness? Exactly. Etc. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a fascinating subject, and I think it would be really interesting to see. It'd be really cool if you had a commission of you. Maybe, maybe you already had on, uh, you know, affordable housing, for example. Like, how would you approach that? Ch- your approach that you currently do for a higher end housing to a more affordable housing. And obviously, there'd have to be some kind of compromise, right? Because you wouldn't be able to have all the, the necessary the materials that you used to specifying. Have you ever done one? Yeah, I did. Okay. Um, you make it out of Lego, maybe? Oh. Well, it was a bit like a Lego. <laughs> it, it was in Western Australia, and it was for um, uh, kind of workers' uh, temporary uh, housing. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, in so you've got a lot of um, uh, migratory. Uh, workers which come to to to, to stations and or for mining uh, or to mining and yeah. so it was a prefabricated uh, kind of a mobile home that you put right. on a, on the back of a truck. Okay, and um, so you had to be working with two rectangle. I did work with two basic rectangle, which makes made in Perth in the factory, put in the back of a truck, and then dumped on a uh, compressed earth floor, um, so it's a it's a round earth with stabilized with a bit of cement um, slab, and uh, that absorbs the humidity from the ground, mm-hmm. um, and there is a kind of a breezeway between the two blocks, so the air was passing between the breezeway, and automatically the vin- the air was uh, evaporating. The humidity of the floor, the humidity of the floor was evaporating, so cooling the the, the floor and and the air. So you had this breezeway, which was very cool, naturally cool. Mm. So you know you see all these metal boxes that get delivered in in um, mining camp, with each one is on air conditioner, and you close the doors. It's all like an esky. <laughs> put crank the air conditioner and then you live in this box with no contact oh, with our door. Yeah. So that was kind of trying to encourage that. And then, you know, obviously there was a couple of air conditioner for the mm. the 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 two rectangles which had bedrooms mm. and living space. It was a concept which got through the design process but wasn't built. Uh, mm. it was a way of approaching even, you know, economical um, design. But I think some of our buildings they're not they were not at all expensive. Mm. Uh, it just 
to be clever with the materials and yeah well most people designing a prefab temporary home wouldn't have the same sensitivity that you approach it well yeah because it got lots of preconception you know you have, yeah it has to be like like the other prefab that you've seen before yeah yeah, yeah exactly well why just purely cost right yeah because you don't want to take a risk you know yeah but those places are hell i remember being in, in england i was in a my art school, we were in a prefab classroom. I mean, it was just the most unpleasant yeah. place to be. I mean, what we were learning was interesting, but the physical space was like a... Ah, I mean, it affected, affected my energy in a big way. Um, what inspires you? Look, it's... Um, I was speaking about my dream last night uh, to you, but the, it's very much... Let's keep that personal. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very much between... Um, I think there is, a, there is a moment of creativity which is uh, between four and, and, and six o'clock in the morning uh, before you mm. wake up. Uh, and I let that go. And I, and I quite take it seriously. I think it's uh, basically it's where the brain is the fresher. The brain has got all the constraints of life put aside mm -hmm. and, and works on kind of... Uh, uh, on your uh, creativity in a, in a most prolific way. The other thing is, I do say, you know, believe into your creativity. Uh, uh, you just have to be, um, in one way, confident that uh, your idea is is a good idea, and but then you have to be consistent with it. There has mm. to be the, the the concept has to come through. The whole process of design and mm -hmm. when you build a house it's three four five years sometimes mm. um and it's a process that you have to keep in mind on the, on the final goal it's the first first goal that was came up with it mm. uh, so there, there should be a certain continuity in that do your clients inspire you yeah they, they do inspire I me mean, they do inspire they, it's, i always say it's uh, you know it's takes two to tango you need uh, mm. a good client to do a good project yeah mm. sustainability is obviously imperative today and in this day and age with what's been going on with global warming etc how do your team ensure that you're designing with sustainability um within the environment in mind well it starts from day one when people contact you they say well i've got this house uh, it's ugly 60s house and i want to get rid of it and do a new house. Architects always jump, oh, it's fantastic, so I can do my perfect home mm. in there. And I do the opposite. I just say, are you sure that you want to demolish it? Let's have a look. We'll, we'll measure it up and see if we cannot do exactly what you want with what you got. So first first concept is just, um, you know, don't throw away uh, existing materials uh, or buildings. Uh Unless you really have to, because it's sort of in the wrong place or, mm. or or completely, you know, eaten by termites, we tend to be quite selective. You know, people say, "Look, I don't want that whole house because I hate it." Uh, <laughs> uh, we say, well, "Look, we're maybe not not the right architect um, mm. for that." Um, and the second thing is basically the selection of materials. Uh, it's very important. I, I find it. Look, there is a great fad in architecture today of brutalism. Brutalism is great, and, you know. It, it, but concrete is 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 uh, an expression of a sculptural material that is can be sculpted as you know without restraint. That's true, but it is also the highest CO two emitters in all the building materials, mm. um, and. And I find it, you know, the same architects that subscribe to the uh, uh, environmental emergency uh, phenomenon um, are the one which adore concrete. And I say, look, you have to take it with a grain of salt because really, it's 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 the material which, yeah, we are, it's quite indispensable. You know, if you have to build a slab, you've got no choice. But it is a, a terrible material from an environmental uh, mm. point of view. So if you can avoid it, please do. Mm. Fortunately, the thing has changed a little bit, but I think still there was a great hypocrisy into the architectural world. Uh, you know, the same people 
having an environmental conscience, they were the one which loved the concrete. Mm. That's 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 the thing that now it can be improved because now you can get low CO two concrete. When we have to use concrete, we we specify only low CO two, to the point that you know the cost a little bit more, but not much. You know, mm. for the school was sixty thousand dollar more, um, and the school headmaster say, "Oh, I want the sixty thousand. Ask the builder for the credit." And I say, "Look." You do that, I walk out. Me or the concrete? <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. So, so you 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 really have to put your foot down uh, with some clients. Yeah. The same for air conditioning. Um, they say oh, I have to have air conditioning because for resale or only I'm going to use it only a couple of days in a year mm. when it's the hottest. I say well, but that's when air conditioning is causes more trouble because, you know. The power surge is caused by air conditioning, mm. and power surge can be only stopped by new power stations. Mm-hmm. And today we don't have still proper power station being installed. There, there's still uh, gas or coal or whatever. Try to convince the client to have a house which doesn't need air conditioning has been always kind of a long battle. Mm. To the point that uh, you know, I get some new clients say, "Luigi, we love your work, but I want air conditioning." <laughs> <laughs> and I say, "Well, look." Why don't we do a bit? You know that 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 we will design it without air conditioning, but we'll put the power power points and 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 the ducting in place, mm-hmm. and Let's see how you go and finish the house without the p- piece of equipment, and if it's too hot for you, uh, I, I will I will be away. I will be doing other houses by then. You put the air conditioner. And mm. do whatever you want, mm. but let's try. Let's see. And it is a bet which has worked, you know, quite well. I mm. would say fifty percent of the case. They, 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 a bit more than that. They, they gone ahead with, and and stayed without air conditioning after the house was finished. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I personally, I don't like air conditioning very much. I mean, I, I personally like having. The windows open all the time, yeah. And actually, experience some some days, a couple of days a year, it does get to forty, but the rest of the time it's really bearable, and it's kind of nice to feel that extreme. Even though you go, oh my god, it's unbearable. It's kind of makes you appreciate nature, makes you appreciate the differences, uh, and certainly when it's cooler. Um, you work a lot with uh, on projects with Will Danger, who's an incredible landscape architect, right? Yes, and correct. so, so um, collaboration is really important. Um, certainly, in what we do, and sounds like in what you do too. Um, again, when you look at your the homes that you're creating, the garden feels so right. It just the whole experience feels right. Um, how do you manage to achieve that? Do you just let him do what he wants, or do you do you uh, just? Yeah, I've got huge trust on him. Yeah, uh, um, he's um, he never. He never failed a project. He's always done beautiful gardens. Um, with small and big budgets, he's always managed. And um, uh, I think he's talented. He's, he's mm. grown in the country, knows, knows the plants. Mm. Um, um, he knows what grows, what doesn't grow. He knows where the best uh, nursery are and the best trees that he puts into his projects. And... Um, it's it's very skilled and it's got the right it gets the right mix of plants. Uh, no, it is a sculpture of 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 space, yeah. uh, external garden space. Um, yeah. Is very good. Very yeah, yeah. I, mean, I guess a lot of places are established gardens as well that I guess get re, you know, utilizing what's there as well as putting new plants into the mix. Yes, yes. And yeah. often native plants, mostly I think. Um. Uh, yes and no. I'm, I would say he's happy to do kind of uh, native garden, but he's, he puts a lot of important plants. Mm. Uh, look, I am an important person. You are an important person. We are all imported in Australia. Um, and Oh, imported. I thought you said imp- important. I think, wow, no, thank no, you. Imported. <laughs> Not important. Yeah, yeah. But imported. Yeah, we're all, we're all and, immigrants. Um, and we're not weeds. I think we enrich the the uh, the 
humanity of, of this continent. Mm-hmm. And um, unless, you know, it's an obnoxious weed, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think you have to have a certain tolerance. Obviously, you know, you have to speak things about the birds and, and the fauna and so on. But um, in, a, in, a, in urban gardens, I think you can, you can um, diverge a bit from a native uh, selection. So I must say that uh, a lot of wildangas plants, I would say 50%, they're, they're not, they're not um, endemic. Okay, I'll have a word with him about that. Um, I did a podcast with Will uh, a few months ago, so people listening in, you can listen on the on this podcast um, with Will Danger, which is really cool. Um, what, what's been your What do you think has been your key to success, or do you feel like you've succeeded? That's a difficult question because I, I'm not a great. Um, I find the word success a bit. Um, okay, let's use another word. Uh, how do you sounds, say? Sounds commercial, doesn't it? No, it, it's a bit of a disease. It's it's a disease of finding, looking for the success as a, as a aim of your life. No, mm. I think my aim is to be able to to achieve a certain notoriety which allows to to do good projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not my personal uh, standing. It's it's a different thing. So mm. while success is kind of a little bit of a personal standing. But I think what I have achieved is to 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 be able to have uh, great projects mm. that uh, uh, not everybody has, and 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 it's 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 difficult for an architect, you know, particularly when you come from outside of a of of a, of a uh, place, you haven't grown up to to you know to have to be to have that kind of um, lucky floor of projects mm. and so certainly that's that's something I, I if you call it success you know is or my achievement is is uh, it's been rewarding is the fact that I get asked to do um, good briefs mm. uh, good sites uh, to, to work on interesting people with we've got very challenging and um, Make you think a bit harder. Mm. That's a really lovely response. Thank you for that. <laughs> I mean, I think it, I think it is truly. I think that's a much nicer response to, you know, the whole idea of success. And you know, we're all aiming for, you know, a, an end goal. But you obviously enjoy what you do every day. Absolutely. And, and not you don't probably don't like me. Don't take it for granted that it's always going to be there or that it just came easy. It hasn't, has it? I mean, it's just been regular kind of chipping away at it, doing good things. You yeah. got a team that you're supporting, and other people bringing into the mix to help kind of manage that, manage the the breadth of what you're doing, but but at the standard of what you're doing, as if you're doing it yourself as well. So I mean, it's a huge contribution to um, society. So do you feel like you've designed your life? I think uh, luck designed a lot of my life, uh, but um, but uh, you know, it's like somebody throwing the ball and managing to catch and and throwing it again um uh it's i think it i did i did achieve that um so i've been lucky because i've been thrown very lucky balls and <laughs> and i've been able to send them around the world kind of you know few spins luckily um and 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 i think that's uh uh, that's a satisfactory result, yeah. That's a good roundabout answer. <laughs> <laughs> but Luigi, it's been fantastic having you on Design Your Life. Uh, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you very much. It was uh, challenging to have a difficult question from you. <laughs> well, I hope they weren't too difficult, but uh, I enjoyed, definitely enjoyed your answers. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the first episode of From Lego to Skyscrapers, The Life of an Architect with Luigi Rosselli. Be sure to tune in to the next episode where I speak to 3XN partner and head of their Sydney practice, Fred Holt. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about Designing Your Life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective.
If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe.